Loving Liberty Network is excited to present Ask an Immigrant, a weekly radio show by Lydia Wallace Nuttall and immigrants from all over the world who share their personal stories as to why they came to America. Lydia is the author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution, and an executive board member for We the Kids, with the mission to put God back into America's history and to inspire kids to value liberty and our United States Constitution and to be proud to be Americans. Welcome, 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 everyone, to Ask an Immigrant. We are so excited that you are joining us for this podcast. Uh, We are so dedicated to helping everyone have gratitude and appreciation for what we have in this country. I am so proud to be an American. Excuse me. And you can be too. Today we have with us a special guest. His name is Juan. Juan, welcome to Ask an Immigrant. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So excited to have you. Everyone, I have waited for six whole entire months for my schedule and Juan's schedule to finally align so that we could have him share his story uh, on Ask an Immigrant. So Juan, why don't you tell us where you're from? Uh, I was born in Cuba back in this date in 1953, uh, a small town called Versailles in the province of Matanza. Uh, I was actually born born a a three-pound preemie, so back then they didn't have all the advances. They basically sent me home to die. And uh, my grandfather built an incubator the size of a shoebox with a 40-watt light bulb, and my grandmother fed me with a medicine dropper. And also, when I was growing up, gave me a raw egg every day, followed by a shot of Spanish wine. So I spent 43 years in the ambulance business, never caught a single childhood disease or never been sick. (laughs) Oh, my Uh, goodness. Well, what an entrance into this world you made. And so ingenious of what your grand, you said your grandfather made, handmade an incubator? Yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. And so everyone, I don't know if you caught it, but today is Juan's birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. So Juan was just telling me before we started recording that he has now been here in America since he was age seven. So I would love and everyone else would love to hear your story. What happened in Cuba or what were the chain of events? What were your, uh, I'm assuming it's your parents started thinking, what got them thinking about even leaving Cuba? Um, so why don't we just jump in and have you tell the story? Okay. Well, basically, uh, Cuba was sort of like the United States. I mean, we had a good life. Uh, we had a farm in the country. My grandfather worked for Texaco Refinery and all that. And I remember good memories. <clears throat> and it, it was uh, my grandmother, my grandfather, my dad, my mom, and my little sister. Uh, one day... People showed up with beers and tanks and all that on the street, and everybody, that's from my memory, everybody was saying, Fidel, this is your house, you know, and and welcome them. When my father had 11 brothers and sisters, his whole family supported Fidel, but my father said, this is not good. So 
the family from then on wished that we would be taken before the firing squad for no, not supporting the revolution, blah, blah, blah. Uh, my grandfather gathered the family together back in 1960. He was building something in the backyard, that, a boat, and I figured, well, he's going fishing, but we live near the water. So he was actually building a boat. When he finished it, he gathered the family together back in 1961 night, said, uh, I'm going up north. And I'm going to send for you all once I get there. This man is a communist, and we got to get out of here, or they're going to execute me. So basically, him and two friends got in the home, homemade boat, and we found out later they had arrived in Key West to freedom. Once that happened, the communists confiscated all the property, Took my father's job away. They tried to brainwash the kids, and uh, when my parents found out, they took me out of school. So we lived under harassment and fear until they let my grandmother and me leave with the clothes on our back a year later. So let's back up a tad because I'm processing all this. So your grandfather, your grandfather, grandmother, mother, father, you and your little sister all lived in a farm in Cuba. Well, we we actually we lived in town, but we had a farm that we went on weekends. Okay, gotcha. Okay, a cattle farm, and your dad worked for Texaco Oil Refinery, and so my grandfather, my grandfather did. My grandfather's the one for Texaco. Oh, your grandfather worked for Texaco. Okay. So um, sounds like you were a prosperous country. I mean, you were able to own your own land, your own farms, run it the way you wanted. Yeah? Yeah, it it was like this. It was a free commerce, free enterprise. So uh, Cuba was one of the most advanced countries, South American countries in the world at the time. Wow. And this is pre-1960. And so Fidel Castro was someone that was wanting to be Cuba's leader. And it sounds like a lot of people, the majority, supported him. Yes, ma'am. He he made a lot of promises, free health care, free everything. Everybody's going to be equal. And so he, he confiscated all American property and industry and all that and uh, it, it was under the guise of socialism at the beginning, and and then it became full-blown communism. So uh, how did I remember you... In... Go, ahead. go ahead. You go ahead. I'll keep my question. I remember You're... in uh, school, the, they took down all the crucifixes and all that and put up Marx, Lenin, and Castro pictures. They uh, called us the the new pioneers, and we had to wear like a red necktie and a uniform. And they told us to spy on our parents for counter-revolutionary activities and all that. When my parents found out, they took me out of school. But my cousins were not fortunate. They they have lived under communism their whole life. Wow. Okay. So um, how long... Well, maybe I should start with a question I was about ready to ask, and that is, how did your grandfather know that Fidel Castro was communist, and how did he know that communism was bad 
well, Cuba? At the time, I didn't know what communism was. I know when he gathered the family, that's what he said. This man is a communist. If I stay here, they're going to kill me. So I'm going up north, which is referred to the United States. And when I get there, I will do whatever it takes to get you over here. So um, he must have known history, some kind of history. Right. About communism, about communist um, countries, about what happens when yeah. countries fall under and communism, you think? That's what I'm thinking. And uh, my father went along with it. We all lived together and he stood up to his whole family. And I think what, what was heartbreaking, they all called for our execution to the firing squad and all that. Uh. Um, since that happened, they, uh, Cuba had two TV channels and they would televise the, the executions, I guess, to put fear in the people and all. Uh, they made my father go to a communist committee meeting and he refused to join, so that's when they took his job. So he went to fishing to feed us and all that. Uh, found stuff on the black market. We had a ration books. You could you got like a, a negative month per person and you had little stuff like that, starvation type. Did you meals. say one egg a month? One egg a month per person. Per person. Oh my goodness. So when, okay. When my grandpa, go ahead. No, no, when no, when your grandfather... <laughs> well, well, as soon as he left, uh, they uh, we went to the farm and they would not let us in. They had taken it over. And and then we were in a curfew after 6 o'clock. They posted our militiamen in the block. And we were not allowed out after 6 p.m. A lot of harassment. So how long after the Cuban people bought into Fidel Castro's promises of free this and free that, thinking he was all for them as a people. How long once he was elected? Yeah, was it an no, election? Actually, or did he just take over? Batista, well, Batista was a, a dictator, but he was pro-U.S. and pro-progress and capitalism and all that. But Castro overthrew Batista by military uh, takeover, you know, terrorism, mm. bombs, and attacking uh, the headquarters of the army and stuff like that. Wow. So by force, he took over by the force. former yes, dictator of Cuba, who was at least, he was a dictator, but at least he was better than, uh, at least allowed more liberty and was more friendly towards um, those principles that allowed you to prosper as a people and not starve and uh, allowed for you to have your life, your liberty and pursuit of happiness in essence, um, even though he was a dictator. Uh, so then how long from when Fidel took over did it take for the country to start realizing that what what was the effects like how long did it take for them to feel the effects of fidel castro's now he's in uh, well, power he, he took over he took over in 1959 uh we left in october of 61 and all the effects were felt there was no freedoms anymore there was uh harassment when 
when my grandmother and I were able to leave, uh, people were spitting out us, at us and calling us names in the airport and all that. So a, a lot of them bought the Kool-Aid, thinking it was going to be better, and turned on their own people. Mm. Uh, we were called gusanos, which means worms. And, worms? Uh, worms, yeah. Hmm. So no more freedom to believe whatever you wanted to believe. No more freedom of speech. No more freedom to choose how you wanted to provide for your family. Uh, your schools then sound like they were, in essence, hijacked. You were, you mentioned how there was all propaganda taught in the schools that the kids were, in essence, forced. Let me know if I'm right to be join the what pioneer, the young yeah, pioneers the young of the Communist Party. Okay, and wear red neckties with a uniform and. Um, it, well, your dad, uh, of course, lost his job because he would not join the Communist Party. And so he provided for you by fishing, uh, you and your family by fishing. And uh, your dad, okay, so your grandfather left in 1960? Correct. And then, okay, so now we're at the point, I'm, my mind is fully really catching up with the story. So now your, your grandfather has escaped in the boat that he had been making because he saw... He was he said he was very uh, insightful as far as what was he could tell what was going to happen and prepared in advance uh, to leave. So he landed in Key West, which everyone those are the little tiny islands south of Florida. He landed there. What happened after that, and and how did he wind up getting you out? Well, obviously, he uh, he asked for asylum and was granted asylum. And uh, he started working with the U.S. State Department to try and get us out, get us a visa and all that. So he did whatever jobs it took to make some money because it cost money back then and all that. Um, so he worked hard to get us out of the island. The only communicate all communications were monitored, letters. The government would open and read it or telephone mm. calls and also... It was mostly by code. That's how we found out he had gotten three days later to the U.S. safely. Uh, the trip took him like three days at sea. Um, uh, so they, they communicated that way, and uh, he worked hard to get his whole family out. And like I said, it, co it cost money back then, and I guess Castro wanted dollars. And mm. uh, So during that time, since he had left, like I said, we were branded gusanos, so it was a intense period of harassment. Mm. And uh, they would not leave my whole family. They, they didn't let my whole family leave. They let me and my grandmother leave with the clothes in our backs. My mother left a year later with my sister. They would not let my father leave, and he made her come without him. And oh. then uh, they they eventually let my dad leave. So. Wow. Um, would it be safe to say they were control fanatics? Uh, OCD when it comes to uh, multi-micromanaging. And um, I think it's amazing how they called you worms and yet would not let you leave. Right. And it, it was just for harassment purposes and to make yeah. an example of, hey, if you don't tell the line, this is what's going to happen to you. 
So when you were able to leave, you were able to leave by plane with your mom? Yes, ma'am. The, the Freedom Flights, uh, I remember the plane. Uh, it was my first airplane I ever saw and flew in. It's a Pan American Constellation. I remember the sandwiches they served us because they were delicious. I mean, we were scraping <laughs> to eat, and here we get, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, as a child, boy, what a memory, and especially of the sandwich because, yeah, if you were starving, <laughs> then it wouldn't matter if they served you something as basic as a PBJ. <laughs> it would have been divine. Yeah. It, 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 it's amazing how little things stick to your mind because they're significant for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what were your thoughts then? How much do you remember since you landed when you were a seven-year-old with your mom? How much do you remember well, as far as the differences between your home country of Cuba and when you landed in the United States of America? Well, basically at that time, I, you know, I was really confused about what was happening and what the future held and all. When we landed, my grandfather was at the airport to meet me and my grandmother. And he took me outside on the way home, and he said, a, a friend was driving us to the house he was renting. He said to me, this is the best country in the world. You get something back. And Ooh. that has stayed with me my whole life, and I try to pass it on to my children. I love that. This is the best country in the world. You give something back. Did I catch that right? Yes, ma'am. Wow. So, as you grew up, how did you give back? Well, uh, the next year they let my my dad leave and then my mother and sister, but the U.S. government, uh, they vetted all the men that came, so the the FBI and CIA would check him out. Uh, They would detain him for about three days and all. when they re- reunited, the U.S. didn't want all the Cubans in Miami at one time. So they sent my dad, my sister, and my mother to Chicago. So oh, wow. For about, for about three or two years, I, I, I didn't see them. Till my grandmother got sick, and then they moved back to Miami. Oh, wow. So, you're, so you lived with your grandfather and grandmother because your mom and yes, dad ma'am. and sister had to go to Chicago. Correct. Oh, and how did you do as a child with that separation? Well, I missed him, but I've always been real close to my grandparents, and we would talk on the phone and all that. Um, uh, Still, it was, for a child, it was hard to comprehend. Okay, I'm living here, now I'm here. Where's my sister, my parents, and all that? But one thing my grandfather and my grandmother taught me is to be grateful and to trusting God. And, you know, it, it all worked out. I'm, I feel so blessed, even through the hard times growing up poor and all that. I am so blessed that I lived in freedom and so grateful to the American people for giving me that. So, mm. so what did your dad do to start over again once he came to America? He took whatever jobs they offered. Uh, they some of the people took advantage of him, like he worked at a, a restaurant for seven days a week, sixteen hour days, and got a gallon oh, wow. of milk for us kids and twenty dollars a week. But 
whatever was necessary. My mother, my father tackled my grandfather, not speaking the language, but they they refused to take any charity. They believed in working for what they got. So what other jobs before besides working at a restaurant? Like, help me well, see the yeah, progression, that, because he didn't stay there forever. I mean, that was a start at the restaurant. That was a start. And then he went to uh, 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 building fiberglass antennas for tanks and all that, working in a fiberglass factory. They also... Uh, Peeled shrimp, you could smell him like two blocks away when they came home. <laughs> so, a factory peeling shrimp. So, they, they mostly. Oh, shrimp. Factory. <laughs> yeah. Shrimp factory. Okay. Right. <laughs> oh, dear. But whatever they, they could to make a little more money, they would do. Um, my father was not an educated man. He, Like I said, he had 11 brothers and sisters. He was the oldest. When his father died, he was 11 or 12, and he had to quit school. To help support the family, so, and that's back in Cuba. He, yeah, so in the United States, he did whatever job he actually worked until he got sick. He was in his seventies, and he was uh, a maintenance guy at a Wendy's restaurant in Miami. The last job he had. Wow! And your mom had to work too. My mom worked, and then uh, she became disabled. Uh, had some issues, mental issues. I guess it all came around and losing mm-hmm. everything and all that. Yeah. I mean, she was a sweeter lady and all that, but went into a lot of depression. And also she stayed home helping my sister and all that. Yeah, taking care of the kids. Right. Wow. Okay. And then, so you still have family in Cuba? Well, my uh, lots of cousins and uh, uncles and aunts that were there that wanted us dead back then, they uh, they never left Cuba, so they never tasted freedom. Uh, so they're living in misery, those that are left alive and all. My dad used to send them uh, money and medicines when they needed it. Uh, but other than that, I've had no contact. Wow. Is it still, what's the climate there even now? Uh, worse than ever. Uh, I've seen stuff coming out of Cuba. The people tried to rebel uh, a year ago, and of course they were beaten and put in prison and all that. Mm. And the, the problem with Cuba, there's so much division that you don't know who's a government agent. So if you're protesting and all that, they're going to arrest you, beat you and whatever. So they, they live in fear. I can't imagine how horrific that must be to live in fear of your life, your safety, mm-hmm. uh, your family's well-being, you're hungry, yeah? I mean, are they still experiencing poverty? And Yeah, the, uh, the, the poverty is uh, it's worse than a third-world country to me. Uh... And so it's, uh, it was a beautiful country. It's, uh, the infrastructure's all collapsing. Mm-hmm. Whatever food there is, people cannot afford. However, they do cater to the tourists that bring in dollars, and uh, the tourists are only allowed to see what they want you to see. Mm-hmm. But the the people mm-hmm. themselves are not, you know, are living in misery. So, how do you keep? How do you, how do you get information from Cuba from your family? I'm assuming they're still. 
have a tight control on what information gets out of Cuba because they want to keep control, make it look like everything's fine in Cuba, right? You're correct. And uh, uh, when my father and mother passed away, they never heard, you know, from before. They would just call once in a while asking for money when they when the calls were allowed to come through. Well, they monitor your phone calls when the attempted uprising happened last year. Cuba shut down the Internet. Mm. Uh, there are some Cuban sites that are able to sneak and people to sneak some videos and all that. And that's how I stay abreast of the. There's some sites that send pictures out of Cuba, what's really happening and all. So now you're obviously a grown-up. You've just had another mm -hmm. birthday today. And so what opportunities have you been able to take advantage of being here in America for yourself and for your family? Well, uh, after I graduated high school, I actually moved from Miami to Madison, Florida, which were uh, about 20 miles from the Georgia line. Um, worked at the hospital to pay for my college. My uncle was a surgeon in town at the time, so I stayed with him. Uh, became one of the first EMTs in the state of Florida. Uh, the sheriff at the time ran the ambulance, so he hired me part-time while I worked at the hospital. Uh, then four or five years later, I went to Miami, uh, because my, to help my parents out and all, I got, um, uh, a job right off the bat because I, there weren't that many EMTs back then. It was a new thing. And I drove an ambulance in Miami for about five years, came back to Madison after running into one of the troopers from Madison during one of the riots, uh, the sheriff wanted me back. So I came back in 81. Uh, back in 87, the sheriff uh, didn't want the ambulance anymore because we wanted to advance to advance life support and all that and the liability. So the county gave me the reins of uh, Madison County EMS, and I helped build it up and all that till my retirement in 2015. Wow. Well, that is amazing. And would you have been able to do any of that if you had stayed in Cuba? Uh, no, ma'am, not under communism. Currently, a Cuban doctor makes the equivalent of $20 a month. Uh, they ride bicycles. Uh, the only equality that they provide is to make everybody equally poor. Equally poor, huh? And, so, and, okay. Yeah, and back Go ahead. The uh, the government shows you what you were going to do. So if the, if you're a young person, you finish your school, the government would say, "Hey, you're going here to study this," and all that. So whether you liked it or not, whether you wanted to do that or not, or whether you were even good at something like that or not. No, they whatever they decided they needed. In fact, they you know they send their military into. Angola and different African countries to to subvert revolution and stuff. So. so question, what happened to all the, if the Communist Party in Cuba took over all the farms, the industry, factories, businesses, etc., and all that wealth, where did all that wealth go? If it didn't go to the people, where did it go? 
uh, the top leaders, uh, when Fidel Castro died, he had like millions and millions in the bank. He lived a life of luxury. Uh, the people that succeeded him, that uh, Miguel Diaz-Canel is his successor right now, they lived a high life. So the, the people at the top get everything. And when communism took over the sugar mills and all the industry, well, they didn't know how to run this. The Americans left, they had the knowledge. So everything has collapsed and nothing worked. Wow. So, Juan, if you had a message for Americans today, especially our American young people, what would it be? It would be that a lot of people die for this country's freedom and opportunity and that there's no free lunch. And think hard before you vote. You need to go vote, but you need to vote smart. Research the candidates, what they stand for, because freedom in Cuba when, you know, in a, in a jiffy, it was gone. And some of the stuff I've seen happening is how it started in Cuba. So... They, they need to research, and they need to go out and vote, and they need to be, freedom is not granted, and it can be gone in, if you make the right, wrong choices. So one last question then is, what signs did you see in Cuba of your country rapidly losing freedom, liberty? Well, uh censorship they took over the uh the press and the and and made you know they they just demonize america and they used that propaganda to brainwash people that america was bad castro is good you're gonna have a great life and stuff like that so and then you had no freedom of speech because if you spoke out you were punished mm-hmm. uh, you had no choice in your education or your future so So, thank you for sharing this very tragic story of what happened to Cuba, but a very beautiful story of how your family was able to flee to America, start over, and in essence, um, build a life again without the fear of believing and speaking however you wanted to believe and speak and that you could progress because of the opportunities to grow and progress and do what floats your boat here in America and receive an education. Yeah, so far so good. Am I recapping this correctly? That's correct. (laughs) receive an education and to be able to have the freedom to choose to be whatever you wanted to be when you grew up or even after you grew up, if you wanted to change, you could. And, um, and here you are on your 69th birthday on Ask an Immigrant, sharing the story freely. Um, hopefully this will never be censored. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, yeah, me too. 
Well, I have learned a lot from what you've shared, Juan, and I'm so grateful that you were able to join us on Ask an Immigrant. Thank you, and I'm grateful for you to give me the opportunity to put this out there. If people want to learn more about you and your story, where can they find you and learn well, more? Well, I, uh, I have a page on Facebook called Ramblings of an Old Cuban, and I also, my name, Juan Botino, they can reach out to me and uh, if they have any questions. Uh, okay. I, uh, I try to, to post stuff of my story so people realize what's going on and how we can lose all this just like we did. So uh, I, I think it's one way of giving back now that I'm retired. So. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you for doing that. So ramblings of an old Cuban, is that what you said? That where they can find That's you on correct. Facebook? Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I got like humorous stuff. I, I try to find <laughs> humor and stuff every day and then some of my Cuban stories. Okay, great. I can't wait to get on. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Yay. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining Juan Botino and I on Ask an Immigrant. If any of you are immigrants or know friends or family that are immigrants or have grandparents or relatives that maybe struggle with English language who immigrated here or you want to share their story on their behalf, you can contact me at Lydia at LovingLiberty.net. That's L-Y-D-I-A at LovingLiberty.net. Now go forth and do your part to preserve liberty in your life today.